Redemption Church. Let's, uh, good morning and welcome to Redemption Church. Let's stand and sing together. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Redemption Church. Good to see you guys. We're going to um, begin with prayer. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a deep breath of air into your own. Just breathe air in deep. Fill up your chest full and breathe out slowly. Just keep doing this as we kind of try to signal to our bodies that we're 
moving into this um, space of Sabbath rest, this like a different thing than the rest of the week. Today is Sabbath, which is just about delight in the goodness of being alive in the world. And so let's just begin our time together um, just breathing in and out, standing in the presence of God in silence for a few moments together. Lord, we give you thanks for the day and for a chance to be together. And we're grateful for this church and a place to come and tell this old, old story of how you came for us and how you've been reaching out to us always, that you are everywhere and always with us, around us, in us, among us. And so we come to try to pay attention this morning to you and your presence in this world. And so as we sing and pray, as we talk about the scriptures and read them together, as we think about our lives in this world, we ask you to come to us and speak to us. We ask you to give us a glimpse of the world as you imagine it, the way things should be, and a glimpse of how our lives can pull in that direction and be drawn up into this story. And as we come, we just gather, gather um, confessing brokenness and confessing that we need so much help um, from you just to figure out how to live our lives and be okay. And so I pray that you would help us this morning to just sort of let our guard down a bit and be tenderhearted toward you and one another and that you would get through to us and break through the walls we kind of build up around our hearts to get through the week. And then we would just breathe deep and let you speak. Pray especially for those who are hurting this morning, God, that you just draw very near to the brokenhearted and whisper words of hope in our ears. I'm grateful for your love and for a chance to be together, God. Stay with us, we ask, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join me in the call to worship. We wait patiently for the Lord. The Lord turned us... Do not withhold your mercy from us, O oh Lord. Your love and your truth always protect us. 
for troubles without number surround us and we cannot see. Come save us, O oh Lord. Come quickly. The Lord lifted us out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. Please stand and continue worshiping.
The reading is from the book of Leviticus. Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on him, fastened the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He then put the decorated band of the ephod around him, tying the ephod to him with it. He placed the breastpiece on him and in the breastpiece, he put the urine and the tumine. And he set the turban on his head and on the turban in front. He set the golden ornament, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar with all its utensils and the basin and its base to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought forward Aaron's sons and clothed them with tunics and fastened sashes around them and tied headdresses on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he brought forward the second ram, the ram of ordination. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram and it was slaughtered. Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. After Aaron's sons were brought forward, Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right foot. And Moses dashed the rest of the blood against all sides of the altar. Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded through Moses. The word of the Lord. Please stand and continue worshiping. Crash. 
crash into the sea. There is a river whose streams will make glad the city of our most high king. God is within her, but she will not fail.
As we come to the prayers of the people, we will begin with a time of silent confession. We invite you to spend the next few moments in silence, praying and confessing to God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Lord, hear our prayer and let our cries come to you. For the Church Universal, its members, and the mission of God, we pray that we would not live through our divisions. We pray that we might find recognition of you and your image in one another before looking to our disagreements and differences, and that this unity in you might bring comfort, overpowering feelings of alienation and otherness. Lord, hear our prayers and let our cries come to you. For our city and community, we recognize an almost constant state of political tension among our friends, neighbors, and inside ourselves. The end of a primary election does not settle an issue, but seems to bring more divided division. We pray that we might find solace in one another and continue to pursue you and your will for the world both with earnest and humility. Lord, hear our prayers and let our cries come to you. For the concerns of our redemption community, we pray specifically for Sarah Klein this week as she recovers from surgery. We ask for your healing hand to lay over her body. We also lift up the Story family as they experienced a great loss last night. We pray that you would rain down peace and wholeness in the hole that now exists in their family, and that they might feel the love and support of this community. Furthermore, for those unnamed requests, we pray that for those who are hurting this morning, those who are sad, 
lonely, or sick. Lord, hear our prayer and let our cries come to you. Finally, God, we pray for those who are not yet ready to voice their prayers, for those who simply can't put words to their needs. We pray that you would give them courage, comfort, and help during this time. Lord, hear our prayers and let our cries come to you. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a good time to remind you that if you would like to tithe through our online portal, you can do so at our website, redemptionchurchkc.com. All you have to do is go to the website, click on the top right corner that says give, and then follow the instructions. You might need to register with your name, email, and a bank account or card. Don't forget that you can always give once, but you can also set your tithe to recurring. If you have any questions about online giving, please contact us through the website. Now, if you will please stand and continue worshiping.
You may be seated, everyone. We kind of have a special thing going on today. Um, a little bit fun for families. One of the things that we've tried to work on in our common life at Redemption Church over the years is something we call, for lack of a better term, initiation rites. Really what it is is that as we're moving along our discipleship from you know birth through adulthood, we try to take these times to check in and see how our discipleship is going. We, we kind of give ourselves a little hurdle to jump, and then we clear it. We say, good job. You did it. Um, and now you're on to the next thing. Here's the next thing. Keep, keep going. And we get to do that this morning for a bunch of our kids. And so um, today's officially, I think we call it Promotion Sunday. I think that's right. Um, so if you are, I'm going to invite some people up. If you are a Club 56 leader or are going into sixth grade, I'm going to invite you to come up and kind of stand over here in this area over by the Club 56 door. If that's you, you can stand up and move right now. If you are an elementary leader or storyteller or lead a small group or ever volunteer down there or are in elementary school right now, um, like when we dismiss, that's where you go to your class. I'm going to invite you to come up and move over here on the other side of the kind of over by the window and the rocks and you can go ahead and come on up if that's you and while you are moving I'm going to invite Joe Overholt to come up and um, lead us through our first promotion so give it up for Joe. Wahoo! Good morning! Um, I'm going to invite a few more people up this morning. So if I could have Natalie Davis and her family and Benjamin Stanley and his family, come on up and stand over here on this side of the room. That would be great. And we will go ahead and start our promotion ceremony. These two kiddos, come on up in. 
right over here, buddy? And granddad, you can come with him. <laughs> um, these two kiddos are going to be moving out of our godly play classroom into our elementary program. Our godly play is what we call our preschool classroom, and that's because of the curriculum we use in that room. So I'm going to just talk a couple moments about that curriculum so those of you who don't have kiddos currently in that area can kind of know what we do in that room. Um, I really love this curriculum, so much about it, but one of the my favorite things is the way that it invites kids into the wonder and mystery that is the story of God. Um, instead of prescribing how to think and how to live, the Godly Play curriculum does a great job of encouraging kids to question and explore the Bible stories, and most importantly to me, to explore the character of God. I'm so thankful for this, and I appreciate it because it conveys that God can be trusted with our wondering and withstand our deep examination. And I love the way that it also, um, I think, shows kids that our church affirms in them their curious and creative minds. And that's really what we're doing this morning in this promotion ceremony. We are affirming their minds and saying that we know that they're ready to move on to this next step in their education. We're acknowledging their growth and saying that we trust them to continue this journey of spiritual discovery. And we're confirming that though they are small, they are an important part of our church family, and we value them. So Ben and Natalie, I just want to tell you specifically this morning that I'm so glad I've gotten to spend this several Sundays with you over the last year getting to know you and watching your little brains develop. Um, I have regularly been amazed by your thoughtful comments and questions, and I've loved getting to see little glimpses of your love for your family when you make them art and when you're excited to greet them every Sunday, and the way that you care for the peers in your classroom. And you two have been the oldest in that classroom for a while, and you're always ready and willing to be my helpers and set such a good example for your classmates, so I've appreciated that. And I want you to know that your other um, godly play teachers and I are going to really miss you in that classroom, but we're so excited to watch you continue to grow and develop through our elementary program. Um, and church, I just want to assure you that these two are going to have a big impact on this place for years to come. They're awesome, and I can't wait to watch them grow up here. Um, so we're going to take a moment to quickly bless them. So parents, if you'd put your arms around them, and church, if you just want to extend a hand, we're going to say a quick blessing over them this morning. God, we ask that you bless these children as they begin their school career and make the transition to the elementary classroom here at church. Protect them and surround them with your peace and love. We pray that you would keep them whole in mind and body and spirit, and that they would never lose their sense of wonder. As they continue to grow and learn, keep them tethered together with each other and in your body. Christ as a light illuminate and guide them. Christ as a shield overshadow them. Christ be beside them on their left and on their right. In your name we pray, amen. And now I'm going to call your names one at a time, and you'll come over across the stage, and Miss Joanna will hand you a gift, and then all the elementary leaders and kids are so excited to welcome you over here. So Natalie Davis, you may go right across. Let's give her a round of applause. Thank you, Natalie. Benjamin Stanley. Okay, thank you, parents. You may be seated. And um, 
elementary kiddos and leaders, you may go ahead and be seated also. And I'm going to go ahead and hand this over to Miss Joanna for the next part of our little ceremony. I know we don't have all the elementary kids over here. So if you're an elementary kid, you guys can come on up and have a seat over here. Come on up. Yeah. Yep, come on up. <laughs> yeah, come on up, guys. Including all the kids who are going up to Club 56. Come on up. Sorry, that's a little confusing. And I would just like to take a moment and acknowledge our small group leaders who have faithfully served in our elementary area for the last year. Um, it has been a challenging year post-pandemic as we have tried to get going again. So if we could just give them a round of applause for their faithfulness. This day is always bittersweet. We are so excited to be celebrating the rite of passage for our outgoing elementary students. But we will also miss the unique gifts that they shared with our elementary community. What we hope and pray in the elementary room is that our leavers will know that they are a vital part of God's ongoing story and a vital part of this church family where their gifts are welcomed and valued. Children's faith is primarily formed through relationships with others in the faith family and through relationships in their families of origin. Because they are aware at this point that they are separate from those families and the world around them, they are able to think a little bit more abstractly. We move our kids at this age up to Club 56 because they are ready to see God in a different way than they were able to before. These students, these new fifth graders, they're ready. At this time, I'm going to read an excerpt from Prince Caspian that we think is fitting for today. Lucy rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy. At last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying, between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all round her. She gazed up into the large, white face, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. This is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, asked Lucy. I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I pray today that just as you are bigger and wiser, you will have eyes to see that God too is bigger and wiser and always there for you. And I would also like to add that I am always proud of these children. But after the last two years, I am especially proud of the courage and compassion that they have displayed on a regular basis. At this time, I would like to have our elementary leavers, so the kiddos that are um, going into fifth grade, I'm going to call your name, and you're going to be handed a gift by Miss Heidi, and you're going to walk across to the Club 56 area, okay? Roman Brown, 
<laughs> Jack Schutz. Wynn Stwartz. Jenna Williamson. Okay, and now I'm gonna invite Tim back up for a blessing. Yeah, so um, before we dismiss everybody to their classes, we'll have everybody stand, if you would, please. And if your kids are nearby, still with you, put your arms around them. If not, just raise a hand and a blessing toward all these kids up here, and let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for these children. You have made them a blessing to their families, their teachers, and to this church. We ask you to protect them from harm, to keep them safe and healthy and strong. We ask you to give them grace to hold tightly to their faith in you, and to keep alive the joy of their childhood. We ask you to pour into their lives a sense of your love for them. Help them to take failure not as a measure of their worth, but as a chance to learn and grow in faith and hope and love. May they always be confident and sure that they are loved and accepted by their church and their families, by their friends, and especially by you, O oh God support them in their friendships, in their attempts to be the body of Christ to each other. And we ask you this day to bless them, each and every one, with a sense of your presence and your love. We ask you to open their minds and hearts to you. Grant that they would continue on the path of discipleship, that they may grow to be workers of peace and mercy and justice and love in this unsteady world. Bless them as they move into this new phase of their discipleship. Bless their parents and teachers. And give us all calm and patient wisdom as we bring them up that we might teach them to love what is just and true and good, following the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And more than anything, we pray, as we always do, that there would never be a moment in their lives that they don't feel part of the people of God. And so we bless them and ask you to bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Congrats, you guys. So we're going to dismiss you to your classes and everyone else. You can say hello to a few folks standing nearby.
we're gonna get started. All right, everyone, if you wanna find a seat, we're gonna go ahead and get going. So good to see you guys, good morning to you. Each, um, each summer in the, it, when we go into ordinary time in the church calendar, we read from the Old Testament. And the last few years that we've been doing this, there are these three verses, one from Genesis, one from Exodus and Leviticus, that have kind of stuck with me that I think actually we should all kind of know by heart. And you probably know the gist of them, but I think they're crucial in terms of understanding what's happening in the scriptures. The first is from Genesis 12, where the Lord said to Abraham, lech lecha, get going, like get moving to a land that I will show you. And then God says to him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So it's like this promise, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so this is like the first sense of their vocation as a people. The next one, Exodus 19, um, says, Now if you'll pay careful attention to what I say and keep my covenant, you will be my own treasure among all people, and you'll be a kingdom of kohanim. Um, the, the word means priests. This is kind of our word for the day. It's a big one. You'll be a holy nation. You'll be a priestly people. If you follow me, I'll make not just priests among you, I'll make you a nation of priests who mediate the presence of God to the world. And then the last one is Leviticus 19. It says, you shall be holy, kadosh, because I, the Lord your God, am kadosh. So the, the holy just means set apart for a specific purpose. So the world, the world had God kind of all wrong. I'm going to make you set apart holy, and I'm going to teach you who I am, and you're going to teach the rest of the world. Again, it's that, that priestly role. And I think together these passages really um, speak about this, who Israel is going to become, and they sort of help narrate the entire story. They're, they're really crucial to understanding where the story of God is going. So I just want you to kind of keep those in mind as we work through our passage for today. If you remember back to the beginning, very beginning of Leviticus, it, it begins with this problem, which is that God has started hanging out at the center of the camp with the people out there in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, tab, tabernacle, <laughs> didn't get much sleep last night, um, but all of the people, even, or especially Moses, they're afraid to go into the tent, they won't go near it, because the presence of God, remember, is always sort of a crisis, and so the first seven chapters of Leviticus are um, God giving them a korban, that's the, that's the Hebrew word, uh, and we translate it offering, it really means a bringing near thing, something you can hold that'll help you get near to the tent so you won't be so nervous about God's presence. And then chapters eight and nine are about the ordination of Aaron as high priest and his sons um, as Kohanim for Israel. And so it's kind of this little narrative break in, in Leviticus where Moses gathers everybody together, like the whole bunch of them, hundreds of thousands of people. And it says, then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron and tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. If it sounds like you should know this already, it's because this, all, this has all been um, gone through in, in Exodus be, before this. So 
um, the, the ordination and ceremony is why they're gathered. He begins by doing this ceremonial um, washing, cleansing, very common thing. Almost every religion has one of these somehow. And Aaron, who's Moses' brother, you remember, um, would, was drawn forward with his sons. He would have been wearing um, these white, stark white linen pants and, and no sandals because they were, the priests always worked in bare feet because it's holy ground, like at the um, burning bush. And then Moses began to dress Aaron up in this, these priestly vestments. So first there's a pure white tunic symbolizing the purity of, of the priest. It's tied with a sash. And then another blue robe over the top of it symbolizing, blue symbolizing the heavens. And it's, it's specified in, in Exodus, it has to be made by a, a weaver who can weave it as one whole garment with no seams, an unbroken piece of cloth. And then they sewed pomegranates and bells, gold bells, into the hem of it. And then came this ephod, which in truth, we don't really know what an ephod is. Um, there's, there, it's some kind of priestly garment um, that only they wore. We know that it was made of blue, purple, and scarlet threads with, um, it talks about cutting the, the gold really thin and then kind of pounding out so it's almost like thread. So they would sew solid gold threaded into this ephod. And it would be easily the finest piece of fabric that these people would ever see. And this is because the, the priest is supposed to be the finest kind of person, the exemplar of what humanity is meant to be, like humanity at its finest. And then it says, he also fastened the ephod, if you, you can see it up there, the ephod is the gold part over the top of the blue robe. Um, he fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed a breast piece on him and put the urim and thummim in the breast piece. So ephod, you can see, has these shoulder pieces up there with two um, stones. They're um, onyx gemstones, and each had six tribes' names printed on them. So it's like he's carrying the, tri the 12 tribes on his shoulders. That's the symbolism. And then this, this breastplate is made of wool and linen and with a ton of gold, like so much gold woven and threaded into it that it would almost appear metallic and then had 12 gemstones, each with one of the tribe's names um, inscribed on them in this sash that sort of matched the ephod. And then, then it, it mentions this thing, that the Urim and the Thummim, which I have stuck in my mind is the Uma and the Thurman, because somebody, <laughs> somebody said that one time and now it's over. Like, that's all I can think of. This is just the Uma and the Thurman. So they have this Uma and the Thurman, or uh, um, Urim and the Thummim, um, and they, they apparently were some kind of like gemstone or stones that were painted, and they're divination stones. That's what they are. Like, they would roll them out in some kind of ceremony to divine the will of the gods. And this was, this was allowed. This was espoused by them. And so they, they actually say, sew this into the breastplate in that, that center square there, that little pouch, so that it's near to your heart. And then it says, they placed a turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. So only the priests wore turbans. And Aaron, as the high priest, had this diadem, this gold crown, inscribed with the words, Kadosh le Yahweh. So it's holiness unto God, is what it says on there. Then it says, Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so consecrated them. So oil in those days was like... Um, 
It was analogous to blood. So blood is like the, this life of animals and people, of earth, earthly um, vitality. Oil was sort of symbolized from the same thing from heaven, life coming from, from God. That's oil. And um, they, he uses this to anoint things. The, the word actually, actually, when you see anointing, the word is always Mashiach in Hebrew, which is Messiah. Messiah just means the anointed one. So Mashiach, anointing, same, same concept. concept. So, so the, the, first the tabernacle and then these people are going to be anointed, and this will consecrate them, kadosh them, and make them kadosh. Kadosh and kadosh, it's all around holiness. Kadosh means holiness. And so it says, he sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times. Notice the seven. And anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin that stand to consecrate them, he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fashioned caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. So this is really all kind of guerrilla theater here. This is, this is like performance art. There's hundreds of thousands of people. They have no sound system, so they can't, Moses can't make a, a speech or something. So they acted these things out that people could interpret. Ritual washings, ornate clothing, anointings. They, this all had particular meaning that they knew how to read. They knew how to interpret. And so we're, we're told that he does this, and then Moses begins to perform all the sacrifices from the first seven chapters. They bring... A bull is a sin offering, a, a ram is a burnt offering, then the special offering for their ordination rites. And here it says, Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hands, the big toes of their right feet. And then Moses took some of the anointing oil this, this life from heaven, and some of the blood, this life from, from earth, and mixed them together and sprinkled them on the altar and Aaron and his garments and all his sons and their garments. This is, this is kind of a, an odd one in the, in the ceremony here. He took some of the blood from the sacrifice, daubs it on their ear, and then on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe, and like non-feet people always go, ooh, when you read that part of the text. There's always a little ooh. Um, but the symbolism of this, is, it, it, it's pretty intuitive even to us. You know, Aaron and his sons are being consecrated, anointed Mashiach for a particular purpose. They're kind of set apart here. And so the symbolism is like their, their right ear is, is what they hear, what they listen to should be, they're set apart to listen only to God's commands. Um, their, their right hand, what they do, what their actions are, are to be set apart in obedience to God. Their right foot meant the path that they take or maybe who they follow should be set apart. And there, remember this is happening around this sacrifice that is really um, geared toward shalom, peace right ordering, wholeness, flourishing. And so those watching this would interpret this and they, they would think, okay, so may our high priest and his sons, may like all that they hear, all that they do with their hands, the path that they walk and including who they follow and where they lead us, may they lead us on the path to shalom, to peace, wholeness. And then Moses tells them, 
do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days. Another seven. Until the days of your ordination are completed, for your ordination will last seven days. And of course, we talked about, Christina kind of um, talked about this a little bit la- last week. The mention of number seven should always make our ears perk up in the scripture. And, and there are a bunch of sevens in, in this story. If, if, um, if you could count Moses' actions here, just in this ordination ceremony, there are seven actions. If you um, count the vestments with which he clothes the high priest, Aaron, there are seven different vestments. And then here at the end of the ceremony, they say, okay, you're, gonna, you're just going to live here for seven days in the, in the courtyard here. And um, these sevens mean something. I don't know if I've ever um, talked about this explicitly, but in hermeneutics, like in biblical interpretation, there's something called the principle of first mention. Has anybody ever heard this? It, it, just, it just means anytime there's some kind of repeating pattern, you look to the first time it occurs, and that's going to help you understand its meaning. So in this case, the, the repeating sevens, they, they all have something to do with the very beginning, um, the Genesis poem about creation and the creation of the world in, in these seven days. So whenever a seven comes up, principle of first mention says it has something to do with God's intention and why God has created the world. So all, there are all these sevens in, embedded, in, first in Genesis, but then also in Exodus. Um, there were seven steps for the construction of the tent of meeting, the Mishkan or, or tabernacle. Seven times this phrase is repeated, and the Lord said to Moses, first six times giving him something to do, the, the seventh one telling him to take Sabbath. I mean, that's a direct line to Genesis. And then they had seven days to finish the construction of the tent of meaning, which seems like not enough time, but it could be just be um, symbolic. And, and when it's finished, it is meant to, this tabernacle thing that they built, this tent, is meant to be a model of the universe, a, a microcosm of the world, like a symbolic picture of the way God wants the world to be organized, trying, trying to teach them that just as Yahweh will be present in this tent of meeting. Yahweh is present in the entire world, just waiting to be found. That's Exodus. And then, then comes the scroll of Leviticus, a bunch more set, sevens embedded in this. It begins, if you remember, in the very beginning of chapter 1, with God speaking to Moses, saying, Speak unto Bnei Israel, the children of Israel, and say to them, If any man of you bring a korban, an offering, a bringing near thing, unto Hashem, the Lord, and then it goes through, starts in on these instructions that go over and over and over and over. But, but do you remember um, what this word man is in Hebrew? Do you remember? It's Adam. Like as in Adam and Eve. And this is another just direct line. It's, for, for us, we don't read it. It says man in Hebrew and we miss it. In, in, or in English, it says man. In Hebrew, it says Adam. Everybody's like, oh, there's a garden thing clearly happening here. It's point us back to, to Genesis to help us interpret Leviticus. And then there are seven chapters at the beginning of Leviticus that contain seven instructions for all the different sacrifices. And then in chapter 8, there are seven actions that Moses undertakes for the ordination of the priests, seven vestments for the high priest, like we said. And then when it's over, they have to stay at the tent of meeting for seven days. So it's, it's just like seven after seven after seven. So it's tying the tabernacle and 
the priesthood and the offerings back to this creation poem in Genesis. And so what you end up with then is a way to interpret what they're doing, the guerrilla theater thing. So the tabernacle is this symbolic picture of how the world is meant to be organized, like the whole world is meant to be God's dwelling place, just like the tabernacle is. That's the symbolism. And then the high priest is a symbolic picture of what human beings are supposed to be like, how they should function, how they should organize the world to mediate God's presence to one another and, and to bear God's image to the world. Remember the, the blood on the, the ear and the thumb and the toe, they, they're going to listen to God in a special way. They're set apart for this. They're going to, what they do with their hands, where they go with their feet, it's all going to be um, to image God, to lead others toward God. That's the priest. And then the offerings, the korban, the bringing near things are this symbolic picture of the human vocation and drawing near to God. And, and, and like Christina took us through so well last week, trying to spot at the tabernacle what is always true, and that is that God can be present in just the most ordinary, mundane things, their life, their, their work, their relationships. And all of it is, is kind of pointing back to the creation poem in the book of Genesis, these layers of sevens, and God's intention for the world and for humanity and for his special people. The tabernacle, a symbol of what the world can be. The priests, a symbol of what humanity can be. And these offerings, a symbol of the human vocation, which is to find God everywhere in ordinary things. Now, do you remember from last week, um, we were in chapter 9, which begins with the phrase, on the eighth day. Remember that? So this is, this is a, not saying seven, but it should perk up our ears as well because it's going after the seventh, what happens. So it's, it's important because there, there are seven days in creation, so this is the eighth day. So this is something brand new starting over again after a failure. So um, the, probably the failure of the golden calf isn't in view here. Um, so there's this eighth day that symbolizes new creation. Like, what's really happening here in the middle of the desert is the world is being remade again, recreated with a bunch of refugee slaves and this God who lives at the center of their camp, but they're too, too afraid to go near. They won't even go into the tent of meeting. And so when this priest, high priest, is anointed who's carrying Israel on his shoulders. This isn't just like dudes in robes and beards playing dress up, you know, so they can use religion to control people. That's not this. This is symbolically God recreating the world. On the eighth day it begins. So th this is all happening near the tent of meeting. Everybody's you know, afraid of it. There's this fire crackling and this, this cloud and they don't know where it comes from. It's all terribly disorienting and confusing to a bunch of people who lived in slavery for a long time. They've been in the desert one year at this point. And so they anoint these priests. And in essence, the priests go first. The priests go first. I mean, somebody has to go first. And so the priests, they lead the way. They draw near, they take off their shoes, they're dressed in special clothing that they're anointed with special oil that reminds them you're set apart and and they live their lives to this strange new pattern 
leading the people in worship in these kind of wax-on, wax-off rituals that begin to shape their imagination and train their bodies for this new way of relating to God and each other and themselves and, and the world. And it's all rooted in reverence and justice and forgiveness and faith and hope and love. And as we talked about with the sacrifices, the pathway, the, the entrance into this new life is a symbolic death, these sacrifices that they perform, which is this symbolic way. Remember, it's a tamim animal. It's a blameless animal. You're laying samak, you're laying hands on it. You're not transferring guilt. You're just saying this, this is blameless for me because I'm not. And then the blood is spilled and the blood is, is life. This, this isn't, um, it's not penal substitutionary atonement. It's, I'm relinquishing my old, I'm going to die to my old way of seeing myself and the world and my life. And I'm just going to start to try to imagine this new one on this eighth day, this new creation, new world that God is birthing. And what God promises is, if you'll do this, if you'll give your lives to this pattern, then the Genesis 12 thing will happen. I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing. The Leviticus 19 thing will happen. They will be a, a kadosh nation. The Exodus 19, 6 thing will happen. They will become a kingdom of kohanim, priests. Say that word with me, kohanim. Kohanim. That's, that, that's their destiny, to show the world what humanity can be, to in what they hear with their ears and do with their hands and where they go with their feet, who they follow, to bear the image of God to the rest of the world. Isn't it crazy how it's all it's like intricately woven together. When people make fun of the Old Testament, I'm like, have never read it, have never studied it, because it is crazy how astute this is. Um, there's also, there's this great psalm that um, alludes to this, Psalm 133, makes really an explicit connection. This is what it says, I'll read the whole thing. Behold how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, life, forevermore. This psalm is referencing this scene that we're reading today from Leviticus, just saying when people of God come together in unity around this new way of life, right, that's reverence for God, um, a new pattern of atonement, justice, forgiveness, grace, those kind of things, what happens is they become like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. It's, it's conjuring this scene from Leviticus, the ordination and it's talking about specifically the oil. You, you know, the, the oil that Moses used, it was like life from heaven, but it was, um, it was almost like perfume. It was heavily perfumed oil. In fact, the, the recipe for how to um, make this stuff is explicitly laid out in, in Exodus. Um, it's very strong, very distinct, a, a pungent fragrance that the priests wore on their bodies all the time, 24-7. And they were the only ones, according to Jewish law, the only ones allowed to wear this exact mixture of oil. And so um, it was like um, patchouli. Anybody, anybody smell patchouli oil? Like when you see, when somebody's around you who, who's wearing patchouli, like what do you think? 
yeah, a pot smoker, right? Totally, or a hippie, right? I happen to love patchouli oil and what it smells like, um, but it's that kind of thing. Like you smell this smell, and you knew immediately, oh, there's a priest in the room because nobody else was allowed to wear this, and and so this is that. That's the image Psalm 133 is using here. When the people of God dwell in unity, when they agree on this new way of being, and they and they do it right, they do all these rituals and start trying to imagine the world that God imagines. They they begin to be like the priests. And so anytime they show up in the world, they just have this, uh, this aroma, this fragrance of God. And it's guerrilla theater. It's like they don't have to even use words. It's just people sense it. They almost smell it. They begin to just, they just mediate the presence of God. And it's, it's strong and it's distinctive. This is actually how they say you know you're part of the people of God. Everybody senses when you show up in a room, oh, this, this is different. When they unite around this new rhythm, the psalmist saying, they become kohanim. They become priests. It's mediating God to everyone else. A, then it says, it's as if the, the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the, um, there the Lord bestows his blessings, life evermore. So Mount Hermon is this really tall mountain. It's like 9,000 foot tall mountain up in the north of Israel. It's so high. They actually have a ski resort there, um, which is crazy to me. I always think of the Middle East as not that kind of a place. They have a ski, ski resort. And the runoff, of course, feeds the whole Jordan River Valley and all the agriculture, and, and it turns this rich green vernant um, mountain into this kind of symbol of life and growth and and in the summer, like this mist and fog fills the forest. And so the, the psalmist is saying, when, when you do this, when you enjoy this, this new way of life, it's like you took Hermon, which is supposed to make us think, by the way, of Eden, the way it's described here, the Garden of Eden. It's like if you took that and just transplanted it in Jerusalem at the top of where, where, the, where the temple is, Mount Zion, which is a desert. It's like dusty, dry, and hard to grow things. It's like if you just transplanted that rich, fertile, um, tons of moisture, verdant land into the middle of the desert, and if that could happen, maybe something new could grow in its place. Something peaceful and healthy. Something strong and rich. When the people of God dwell in unity around this new way of life, they, they bring other things to life that seems dead. And so anyone can grow and heal and find peace and imagine a new way of life that's whole and, and, and flourishing. This is what God has in mind for God's people. God wants them to be priests, all of them, as, as persons, but especially as a group. And so what happens in the story is Aaron takes over from Moses. He starts doing the sacrifices. And the people come to make their korban, they're offering. He and his sons lead them. And then there's this incredible detail at the end of chapter 9. It says, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meaning. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Christina walked us through this really well last week. If you missed it, you should go listen to it. It's great. The stuff about the kavod, the glory of God. Um, consumes this offering. Not the fire, but this fire from the holy place comes out. But did you catch in this 
the first line of the passage. It says, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. This is a huge moment. They go inside the tent. I mean, this was the problem from the very beginning of Leviticus, reaching all the way back to, to, to Exodus. Moses is stuck outside this tent and can't go in but, because God's presence is always a crisis. But suddenly, with Aaron and this kind of new structuring of their common life, the, it, it worked. They, Moses gets inside the tent with Aaron. They go in there and they survive. And so this big crisis from the beginning of Leviticus seems to be over. And you take an exhale, right? And then you move on to chapter 10 and read this. Aaron's son, Nadav and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all people. I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. So, oops. <laughs> Thought we were good. That was weird. This is like one, one of the strangest scenes in the scriptures. And that's saying something. Um, so these two sons uh, of Aaron, um, um, Nadav, which means noble, Abihu, which means he's my dad. So the name is Noble, he's my dad, which might tell you a little bit about their motivation. They enter the holy place in the tabernacle where they're not allowed to go. Only the high priest can go in there, only their father. And they, so they are disordering the order of the tabernacle. So they're messing with this model of new creation. Then they offer unauthorized fire before the Lord. They're kind of freelancing here, not being true to the task that they're given. And they're actually usurping their father's position because he's the only one who, who should do this. So in a sense, they're distorting the role of the priest. So they're messing with that symbol too. They've messed with the tabernacle symbol and the priest symbol. And then they burn an offering that didn't have the right symbolic meaning. So scholars think either they were copying it, most likely, from a pagan ritual, or they were just making it up. They were like, you know, freelance and going, going rogue here with their liturgy. Either way, they're distorting the symbolism of the offerings, too. And so what, what happens is they have, they're ruining the liturgy, the kind of guerrilla theater here, the teaching, the Torah that's happening at, at, at the tent. And so they're consumed, in a sense, by their own fire. They, they reap what they sowed. They, the wages of their own sin was, was death. It's, it, I always think of Noah, the story of Noah, in, in this where, you know, the people um, went their own way and did what was right in their own eyes and just kind of made things up as they went along. And so the world descended into chaos, right? And what's the biblical symbol for chaos? Water is a symbol for chaos. So the flood is symbolically, if you're reading it symbolically, it's God just giving them over to the chaos that they have created and voted for their whole lives. Here, um, the two sons of Aaron make this unauthorized fire, and God just sort of gives them over to the fire that they created. They just sort of reap what they sow. So it's this cautionary tale that warns the people of God 
look, I'm trying to, I'm setting the terms for creation here through this symbolic stuff. Just, just stick to it. Tell the story this way. Do the actions, what you hear, what you do with your hands, the path that you walk. Let it, let it conform. Because I'm trying to teach you something in particular. The tabernacle is a symbol, symbolic picture of what the world is meant to be. Just like I'm in the tabernacle, I want the world to see I'm everywhere waiting to be found. The high priest is a symbolic picture of what it means to be human, how you're supposed to function. Don't mess with that functioning. Just follow this thing. It will work on you. It will change your imagination. The offerings, the korban that they're, they're bringing here, are a symbolic picture of the human vocation, which is just to learn how to see God um, at the, first in the offerings and then in just the ordinary everyday things, their life, their work, their relationships, their actions. And so this little story comes to an end with Moses finding the, the dead sons, and he's kind of um, unemotional about it. He just says, says to them, okay, well, drag the bodies away. <laughs> That's what he says, drag the bodies away. And um, you're priests now, so I'm sorry about your brothers, but you have work to do leading the people, so get to work. Do, do the worship. That's what we do, the liturgy. And so they get back to it. And that's kind of how, how the story ends. It's weird. And so what do, we, what do we make of this kind of crazy little interlude in the law? And, and I think what sticks with me is this idea that our calling as the people of God still to this day is to be like priests and, and to somehow um, mediate the presence of God to the world. Like our pattern of living, the way we live together, our relationships, the way we speak, what we hear, what we put our hands to, where we go, it will ripple out into the world one way or another. And God's hope for humanity, God's dream for his people is that they will take on the fragrance of Aaron, of the high priest. It's just on a, like a really practical level, just means to, to function like priests means that we meet our friends and, and neighbors and coworkers and our, our families just where they are. We meet other people in the world as it is with all of its it's good and it's bad. It's joy and it's sorrow. It's like it, the world is a very broken and fearful um, place, but it's beautiful too. So, so we meet the world where it is and we tell the truth, but by our actions, our way of being, we offer hope that the world doesn't have to be this way, that there can be an eighth day, like an um, a new creation. God's dream for humanity is that our lives will have this aroma of new creation, a whole new world breaking in. And so sort of the, the ordinary life that we live, that you sometimes wonder if it has any meaning, this is the meaning. It takes on the aroma of God, our lives do. That's the idea. And it sits with people in the worst moments of their life and says, I know this is happening, but this is not the way it has to be. There is something new breaking into the world. 
um, with energy, with life from God. And so I kind of want to just leave us there with that, with that image of that part, in the, especially in the ordination rites where they, um, where they put the blood on the ear, on the, the thumb, and on the feet, just saying it's, this is about being set apart in what you hear, what you listen to, what you work, what you put your hands to, where you go, where you follow, who you follow. And so it's, it's just oddly specific enough, I think, to actually stick with us as a, as a decent symbol. And um, so I, I, want to, um, I, I want us to do a practice. You know, in Leviticus, as we're studying Leviticus, we're trying to, every week, do some kind of a practice, if we can. Our kids are coming back. Um, so we're going to ask you guys to drink this, if you would, real quick. I'm just going <laughs> to... Just kidding. So this is going to be our, our practice that we're going to engage in today. So one time on a trip to the, to the Holy Land, somebody brought me back the exact mixture from Exodus that they used to make the anointing oil for the priests. So assuming they, the spices still smell like what they did back then, this is it. This is the, these two jars here are it. And so what I want to invite us to do, I'll mix it up a little bit. What I want to invite us to do is when you come up for communion, if you want to all these exercises are optional, by the way. Uh, and if you have a thing about oil, don't, you don't have to mess with this. It's just olive oil with these spices in it. But if you want to, after you receive communion, just come up here and I'm going to open these and leave them both on the altar and just um, dip, dip your finger in there and then just put a little bit on your earlobe, put a little bit on your um, thumb of your right hand and then on, on the big toe, you don't have to take your shoes off. Like, Let's just have one smell at a time here. But you, <laughs> sorry. Or if you have sandals on, that's great. But just like put, put a little dab on your ear, on your hands, and, and your feet. And just kind of let that aroma stick with you today. If you don't want to do all of it, you just put some on your hand or something so that you, you smell it. And just kind of let that aroma stick with you a little bit and remind you, you know, we're called to be set apart. And what we listen to, what we put our hands to, and we're supposed to carry this, this presence to the world. Are you game? Are you up for this? Okay, well, let's stand then, and we're going to receive communion. And if you feel like it, you can come forward and, and um, use this oil in the way we talked about. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he had broke it, broken it, he passed it around to his followers and said, this is my body broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he did the same thing with this one cup, a common cup. They all drank from it together, and he said, this, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, and a new deal between humanity and God that's established by my life. And so he said, whenever you get together, eat this bread, drink this cup, take my life into your life, be made out of the stuff I'm made out of, and then go out into the world to be salt and light. It's really kind of that priestly thing. You become me, and then you represent me to the world. This is the symbolism. And so this is why we receive communion every week. It's just this, this symbolic way of saying, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. I want to I take receive God into my life through Christ and then live this out into the world and be salt and light. And this is also why we just invite anybody um, to join us at the table. So if you would join me in a blessing. Um, 
Lord, we give you thanks for this bread and this cup. May it be um, to us a spiritual food and drink, a means of your grace. And as we receive you into our bodies, um, may we receive your life and this vision of the future. And then make us new from the inside out and send us out to the world as priests to the glory of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forevermore. Amen. Will you come? You have brought me near.
I have a few reminders and announcements this morning. The first one is that uh, there is a Strengthening Families Program informational meeting right after church today. It's going to be out here in the atrium. If you'd like more information about um, the ministry that we serve our community in, um, please join Mandy right out here, right after service. And then Mandy is also um, needing volunteers for ESL classes. Those take place on Monday nights here at the church. If you can help with those, um, you don't have to speak Spanish or anything like that, but Mandy would love to talk to you about it, so be sure and find her. Mandy, she's right back in the back if you want to <laughs> if you want to help her. Um, also, I wanted to remind the uh, 5th, 6th, and 7th graders, your summer Club 56 party is coming up this Friday night. Um, it is going to be here this year, led by the master of fun, Jeff Thompson. Jeff, raise your hand. <laughs> he, uh, it starts at 6 o'clock here Friday night for all this kids going into fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, and it's, the seventh graders get to come because it's kind of like a just a last fun party, and they all send you off into junior high. So if you, parents, we really need you to register for that. There is a place on the website that you can actually go and register your child this week, but um, be sure and do that to help Jeff know how much food to have and, and games and that sort of thing for planning. Um, the next thing is that, just a reminder that Rabbi David Glickman is coming here to our church a week from Tuesday on the 16th at 7 p.m. to talk to us, give his perspective of Leviticus. Don't miss that, that's gonna be a really neat thing. And the very last thing I have is that um, Matt Ingram, who is not here today, but he asked me to announce that the men are getting together for softball again this fall. They, we have a league that goes on, I believe, on Sunday afternoons. Anyone know? Yep, okay. Sunday afternoons during the fall. Um, you can reach Matt either by his phone or through uh, an email if you're interested in playing on our softball team. That's it. Thanks, Beth. If you would stand, please, and um, we're going to receive our benediction. And if you would just um, hold your hands out in front of you, just palms up in this posture of receptivity. And what I want to do for our benediction today is just read um, Psalm 133 again. And listen to it with all, all of what we talked about today in mind. Behold how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, life forevermore. As you chase after this vision of the world, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Redemption Church, may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace, everyone. <laughs>